Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 465 with Mark Jensen. I've always been a dreamer, and when I finally learned that I had to buckle down, I came to realize that I should only aspire to what I'm willing to achieve. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire account's payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef, Mark Jensen, Mark, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm unstoppable with you, buddy. (laughs) Yes. So starting in his family's restaurant in Vermont, Chef Mark Jensen was soon working in restaurants in France, Scotland, Italy, and finally back in New England. Eventually, Jensen brought his family to Lexington, Kentucky, where he began Mark Jensen Catering. The catering company evolved to include Fork in the Road, Mobile Galley, and in the summer of 2015, Jensen took that momentum and applied it to middle fork kitchen bar too much acclaim obviously we're just scraping the surface uh haven't really dove deep into your story and the details but i can't wait to uh before we do that let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with success quote or mantra what do you got for us all right i don't know if i've heard this before or maybe i made it up but i've always been a dreamer and when i finally learned that i had to buckle down came to realize that I should only aspire to what I'm willing to achieve. You should only aspire what you're willing to achieve. Dive into that. Yeah, man, because all that aspiration is just kind of turning your wheels and it's fun. It's fun to be a dreamer, but when you really get down to it, if you're willing to achieve something, then that's what you should be aspiring to. Mm. And uh, and when you're ready to do that, when you're willing to achieve, uh, then, then that's what, you know, your goals are, are set around. I love that you're, you're starting here. I feel like sometimes people feel like to really be happy or to achieve success, uh, they shoot for these huge grand visions of uh, just, 
you know, acclaim and uh, magnitude. And that doesn't necessarily mean success. You might be miserable. You might, you know, bite off more than you can chew. And then you feel obligated to, to show up and deliver at that level every day. And it's just exhausting. Uh, so really, you know, success is what you're willing to achieve, uh, which is uh, so cool and a great way to look at it. Cause I, I think at the end of the day, it's all relative, isn't it? It is. And, and a lot of things are outside of uh, your control. So, yeah. you know, you know, I, I, I'm aspiring, you know, maybe to, to be a James Beard award winner or to, you know, uh, have multiple restaurants, but that's not like my, my goal today. Today, my goal is to make things nice, to make, mm. make great food, uh, have a great, nice work environment with my, with my team. And, uh, that's what I'm aspiring to. Beautiful. I love it. Um, so where did it all start for you? Uh, it looks like you grew up in the industry, but when did you know that this was going to be your path? Well, yeah, my, my folks have a restaurant and uh, still still operating up in Vermont. And uh, uh, I was just uh, at their side from from day one. So I loved it. And uh, my, 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 one of my grandparents, a uh, uh, set of grandparents, were innkeepers uh, up in upstate New York. And uh, a great-grandfather was a chef uh, on a, a boat in Germany. So it's, it's in our blood. And you really can't shake it. I've always loved restaurants. I don't know if, if early on I wanted to, to be a restaurateur or a chef. I just know I just loved food and I loved to travel. And I loved looking through the, through the lens of food at different cultures and so, so it's always been there, and it wasn't really until I, I freed myself up from a little bit of, of uh, I don't know, the complexities of life, you know, really late in life. I'm, I'm over 50 now, and it wasn't until three years ago that we opened the restaurant. Uh, it really wasn't until maybe, you know, a half dozen years ago that I said to myself that this is the time. This, you know the level of commit, commitment that it's going to take. And now you're, you're at a place where you're going to be able to make that happen. So it, it's a relatively new, uh, new focus for me, I think. Well, uh, plus I think you had that luxury of growing up in the industry and working in, in the industry and knowing what is required of somebody to do it right. And were you willing before, I guess is the question, were you willing to, to commit yourself fully to, to be, uh, married to this industry? Uh, I mean, you were, you were working in it, but you knew, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I wanted the whole whole book on on my shoulders. You know, everything that goes goes into running running a successful restaurant. I, I, I do know what it takes, and and it, it takes everything. It takes everything you've got, and then and then ask for a little bit more too. So I wasn't ready, and I could see other restaurateurs that I worked under and other chefs that uh, uh, were doing it successfully or or partially successfully, and. I, I wasn't ready yet. Absolutely. It took me a long time to, to um, be able to fully cast myself into it. And, I can't, and, and yeah. I'm so Sorry. happy that that's where I am now. Yeah. I can't wait to dive into when you discovered you were ready and how you knew you were ready, but let's work into that. Um, so uh, when did you know that you were going to be committing your life to cooking? When did you start living intentionally to, to gather new knowledge, to, to go to different parts of the, the world to, to get this information you need to be successful? Uh, all, all through growing up. So my folks were really, uh, really so nice to be able to, to send me to, to France. So I did, uh, you know, semesters abroad, um, the family I stayed in were restaurant people too. So, you know, first, you know, look at, uh, restaurant life, uh, in another country I was in La Rochelle, France for a bit. And then we came back. So that opened my eyes and, you know, my, you know, 
my mom and dad would take me to fantastic restaurants and I'm just so comfortable going to a restaurant. It's just, it just, the, the sense and sensibilities of, of hospitality and, and, and great cuisine is fantastic. It's just, I just love it. So, uh, you know, early on all that, uh, kind of shaped my thought that, yeah, I want to be involved with it somehow. And, and then I, you know, saw how, how hard my dad was working and, and knew that I didn't want to go into it immediately. So I went to school, got a bachelor of science, uh, always been interested in, in biology. Uh, so I got a BS in, uh, in botany. And once I got out of that, it was like, you know, there weren't a lot of jobs for botanists. Uh, and, and I just started picking up some odd cooking jobs. And uh, one thing led to another and got under a few mentors and traveled abroad for a few months and would come back and work in Vermont and then go back abroad. And it was, it was just a wonderful set of years. So you, uh, you went to France uh, at this point. Was that before or after the, the bachelor's degree in science? Uh, yeah, that was high school. So high, high school, school spent uh, just a, a semester abroad there. Okay. And then uh, uh, University of Vermont, uh, at the, the Bachelor of Science. And then as uh, I got out of school and stayed in uh, Burlington, uh, worked at the uh, inn at Shelburne Farms, which is a old restored uh, uh, web estate. So it was a summer house, but it's just, you know, crazy, huge, beautiful Victorian house. It's been changed over to a, uh, a farm and uh, uh, a, uh, a small inn. But at any rate, I uh, worked under a Scottish chef there, and he really opened my eyes to uh, really whole cuisine and uh, – brought me to Scotland where we worked there and then introduced me to some people in Italy and we worked over there. And so it was this oscillation back and forth. And, uh, uh, I just loved it for years. That's, that's what I did. Uh, until, until, you know, the, the strains of restaurant work, uh, really started, uh, bearing down on me just, you know, short term jobs. Cause this is all seasonal stuff and, and getting work pieces to, to go abroad was, was becoming more and more difficult. Uh, and at one point, yeah, I felt uh, I felt like uh, the the caliber of restaurants I was getting myself into uh, weren't at the level I wanted to be. I was kind of sidestepping instead of going up. Uh, and uh, I decided to go back to school. I decided to go back to sciences. I was always flip flopping between biology and, and cooking. And uh, got into a PhD program uh, in Bloomington, in Indiana, uh, for more botany, for evolutionary biology, and you know, uh, looking at genetics and speciation. Uh, so I spent a bunch of years uh, working on a PhD and, and just cooking for friends and, and living life. Okay. Um, so at what point did you uh, realize that the food and beverage industry, whether catering or in restaurants was going to be your life? <laughs> so, yeah, I know. So it's a long, long ways around it. Uh, so finished the PhD program, uh, got married, uh, changed the state, came down here to Lexington, Kentucky, and, uh, uh, again, was looking for some, just some, some quick cash to make sure the family was, was fed and contribute. Um, so I started catering for a local caterer and suddenly I was like, Oh my God, I'm cooking again. And this is fantastic. I loved it. I just, I just loved being back in it. Uh, I'd never really been a caterer before and, uh, I, I loved the, the new aspect of it. I worked for her for uh, a couple of years. And this is in and- Lexington. It was in Lexington here, yeah. Um, so it was um, uh, a good introduction to the, to the local scene, and 
met some uh, pretty great clients and decided to kind of hang my own shingle out and, and start my own catering company. So let's backpedal uh, a little bit because I, I feel like there's still a few lessons we can pull from your earlier years working under these chefs, uh, traveling. Uh, and I want to dive into the, the more present day catering and, and how you got to opening your, your food truck in the restaurant. But Working for some of these chefs, I mean, they must have seen something in you if they're willing to travel with you to send you to overseas. I mean, were they like, did they see something in you? Did they, did they ever say, "Hey, Mark, like, really, you should maybe consider being a, a, a you know a, a career chef"? Yeah, I think that's what was expected, uh, and I loved it. I, I just uh, I, I thought the world of these people, and uh, you know, and as we as we grew apart and people got jobs at different parts of the world and. Uh, uh, I was just kind of left back in Vermont, you know, starting to work at, you know, ski resorts and larger hotels. And it just wasn't, uh, just wasn't feeling right for me uh, because I think I had gotten a lot of uh, credit and uh, just a lot of uh, good feedback from uh, these chefs I was working under and uh, set my expectations early on for, for quality and authenticity and not just being in the industry, but having a voice in it. Uh, and so I couldn't achieve that. Uh, I didn't want to do it. So you couldn't achieve what you knew was possible at this time. Uh, you felt like you were falling short. You're making these lateral moves. Hindsight being 2020, uh, if, if you could go back, you know, we all say coulda, shoulda, woulda. How would you have lived your, your life differently back then knowing what you know now? I know there was a couple points where, you know, I was asked to come back like at the inn at Shelburne Farms uh, one summer and you know, worked a couple summers there. And uh, you know, on the third summer, uh, they decided to go with culinary students, cheap labor. And, and so basically just gutted the entire kitchen outside of the head chef. And uh, I was asked to come back, but like, you know, pennies on the dollar. And I just, I couldn't live that way. I, my, maybe my one regret is that I didn't spend that last summer there and, and just bite the bullet. And I don't know how I would have survived, but uh, one more year of working with him may have set a uh, different, uh, a different path for me, right? It would have been maybe less roundabout getting where I am now. Maybe it would have been kind of more traditional and maybe I would have gone to, you know, Rome or New York or, uh, you know, and just kind of really embraced the, the, the chef's life yeah. early. Now I hear it a lot on the show, just the, the power of patience of keep, just keeping your nose down uh, and just showing up, working and just slowly growing and slowly climbing that ladder. But it takes, you know, years uh, and I can see how, you know, one might get discouraged uh, and want to move on to other things when things aren't happening as fast as, as they would have liked. Do you think that's what happened to you? Do you think you just got discouraged and maybe wanted progression faster? I think so. I think so. I think I set my sights pretty high. And uh, uh, but think but things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like I'm such a better person for, for going the route that I did. Well, uh, how are you a better uh, person? Give me an example of what, what makes you better uh, now because of the right. You know, you know produce comes in and I'm able to look at it. I kind of understand where it sits in, in the, the world of, 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 of plants and families of plants in general. And I'm, I'm able to understand kind of the, the way a farmer will, you know, reach down in its genetics and, 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 and look for, you know, over years of, of growing a, a particular variety, you know, how he's shaping it to be better for his farm or her farm. And I, I just love the idea of uh, putting food in the context of, of, of life, of, mm. of uh, you know, how things work. And, uh, and, and I think a strong education is, is super, no matter if you stay with the, 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 uh, 
the line of inquiry that you were following in school or if you go on to something else. I think just stretching your mind and, and, and being inquisitive and, and following a, an academic uh, line is, is important. Yeah. I, I really loved it. I'm happy you, you you went here because that was another question I had written down. Uh, your your background in science, the impact that your biology it was it was biology, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, cooking is science. Uh, there's so much chemistry going on there. The the, the evolution of uh, you know uh, morphing these uh, I guess domesticated uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, I mean, do you think you see the world differently because of that education? Because of this 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 knowledge you have as a chef. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, whether, you know, I'd gone through school and did a comparative literature uh, degree or whether I was in the sciences or in engineering, I think all that's going to influence a person's uh, perspective and that, that kind of lens. Yeah, and just uh, a, a different appreciation on a different level, I would, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. And, and then also just on a, uh, a, a day-to-day objective level of getting your work done, it's like, you know, we're, we're working now with all kinds of really interesting kind of modernist pantry kind of things, you know? So, you know, I understand the difference of, of using one kind of emulsifying agent versus another. And I understand, you know, the use of uh, different kinds of salts and what, what the effect that's going to have on, uh, on our product, you know, whether it's uh, pickling or, or curing and fermentation and all that. It's just, you know, there's a scientific background now that uh, uh, you can be a little bit more analytical and you can be a little bit more, uh, uh, have a, a repetitive idea of, of um, getting the product you want over time. Beautiful. Um, so you did get to work under some great folks. Uh, any major lessons from a mentor uh, on just how to be, how to treat others, how to manage a kitchen, anything you can share with us to make us better right now before we move on to kind of how you, you took the next step to get to where you are? I, I, they're probably all cliches. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you've, all, you've, all seen the, you've all seen the chefs that blow up and, and, and have that management style of, you know, of just being angry all the time. We all know that doesn't work. Uh, and, and I think kitchens are moving away from that. Um, you know, and then, you know, the, the, the really tiered brigade system where, you know, you've got uh, execs and, and chef cuisines and you've got party chefs and, you know, linemen and roundsmen. And that may work in some situations, but in most restaurants that I've encountered, it's really a, a very much a, a, a team approach where uh, everybody's kind of looking over each other's shoulders and, and, and helping and making it better. And, uh, uh, I, I, I really embrace that here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, have you read, uh, Eric repairs 32 yokes? I think it is. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. He talks about that in, in, in that book. It's just that idea of, uh, that situational awareness of not just what your station is looking like, but what's the team doing and being able to, if you're, are you ahead, then how can you step away for two seconds to make sure that the person that might be a little bit in the weed, the weeds get out of the weeds before it really starts to ripple and affect everybody. Um, just having that us mentality is so powerful. Yeah. Situational awareness. That's Absolutely. awesome. Um, okay, so let's talk about you. You make it down to Lexington, Kentucky. You're working in catering, and it sounds like this is actually when you start to think to yourself, "All right, maybe this is my path. Maybe this is where I belong." Um, talk us through that evolution of uh, recommitting yourself to food and beverage. Yeah, I loved it. I loved the catering. I loved it doing it on my own. Uh, it was about the time I, uh, you know, like when I had a, a daughter, and so. Uh, this is, she's uh, 18 now, so 18, 19 years ago. And the catering is wonderful because uh, my business model was just waiting for the phone to ring. The phone rang, hey, I need this, 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 and 
uh, I'd set it up and I'd make it happen. And I could spend so much time with her, uh, with my daughter, you know, take her to school, pick her up. You know, it was, it was, it was great dad time. Uh, it wasn't a profitable time. I didn't have a ton of business. I had, I had you know, if, if, you know, someone picks up a catering uh, job, you know, once a week, couple times a week. That's kind of about the level I was doing it. It, it was, it was more than a hobby. It was a business, but it was a, it was a small business, very small. Uh, but it allowed me to be a dad, and uh, I really loved it for a lot of years. Um, my wife didn't like it so much, so we ended up <laughs> splitting up uh, when my daughter was a teenager. Um, just before, so this is that is really what was the, the crystalline moment. Suddenly some time opened up. So, uh, uh, I'm out of the house. Um, I'm moving on, uh, didn't move far. My, uh, my daughter and I are super close. Uh, and my ex-wife's awesome too, but, uh, it was a good time to do a gut check and say, all right, well, look, you've got less constraints. Now you don't have any family responsibilities outside of, uh, being a dad. Um, Let's let's see what happens if instead of just waiting for the phone to ring and you picking it up, let's bring the food out to the people. And at that time, you know, I didn't have really two dimes to run put together. So, uh, you know, what avenue can I do? And this was about the time the food truck movement was really kind of coming to play. You know, maybe eight nine years ago, and uh, I started putting a plan together to get a, a, a small mobile unit out to. Uh, to take Lexington on. So um, I think there's some cool things here that are worth kind of going uh, deeper into just the idea of uh, starting where you can. Um, you started working underneath somebody else who was uh, doing the catering thing. You, how did you break away from that? What was that process like? Uh, I got kind of big for my britches. I was like, I was, I was the head chef there. Uh, there was the owner who it was really her. I mean, Southern hospitality. She, she owned it. She knew the clients. She would, uh, be the front man, but uh, the, the lion's share of the cooking and uh, and kitchen management was me. And you know, after two years of working with her, uh, we just butted heads a little bit. I think I got, like I said, a little bit from my britches. Uh, was hoping maybe to become partners. Didn't happen fast enough. Um, I said, oh, I'm just going to do it on my own, and I was out. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, don't really see catering as a, a, an option as entry into the industry first. Uh, they open the restaurant and think, oh, to, to supplement all this overhead we have, we should probably start catering too, to get that extra channel of revenue. But if you just start with the catering, there's so much less overhead there. Uh, I think it's a really great way to kind of, you know, scale into, uh, an eventual brick and mortar in some people like do straight into the food truck, but you kind of scale from catering using other people's locations and menus, uh, and then scaling to the, the mobile unit, which eventually scaled into the uh, brick and mortar. So was this all intentional or was it kind of just kind of happening that way? No, I, I still hadn't thought about opening up the restaurant, uh, even as I was opening up the food truck, uh, mostly shying away from uh, how much time it was going to take, uh, knowing that it'd be a full commitment based on what I'd seen from my dad and, and, and everyone else that I'd worked with. And... Uh, <sighs> I, I didn't want to take on all of the management. I didn't, you know, all, all the employees, all of the, all the um, services, all the linens, all, all the little puzzle parts that keep this restaurant running. I wasn't ready to embrace it yet. So, so I was moving from catering to the food truck, which would allow me to get my voice out, my, my, my cooking out to people and uh, managed to, to uh, ask some friends for a little dough, uh, 
just charged everything onto the credit card, just, just maxed out all my credit lines and got this uh, beautiful outdoor stainless galley that, uh, you know, had a big plunge on it and a couple burners. And uh, I figured, you know, I designed it so that, you know, as a cook, I could cook anything off of it. And I would uh, drag this thing around to a couple different venues, uh, you know, like started out just a couple nights a week, turned into like four nights a week. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of work. Suddenly the thing that I was fearing so much work and so much time commitment, I was all in. I was, it, it, I was all food truck all the time. Uh, well, making, think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. As you know, you know how it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, making plans for the day, executing them, getting everything uh, into the galley, getting it to the brewery or, you know, festival or wherever we were working. It's really just kind of a, a brewery circuit to tell you the truth here. Okay. And, uh, Cooking to great reviews, had a great time doing it. We we're outside um, in all kinds of weather. Geez, you know that we had a couple of the uh, uh, polar vortex winters during that time. We would still go out. I mean, if, if I made a commitment to be someplace, <laughs> I would be there. That's awesome. And so cold. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of lessons here of just knowing, um, really having an understanding of what you're committing yourself to, and asking yourself, are you willing to commit yourself to that, and not doing it in until you are full, fully willing, which is a, just a huge lesson on also just the, the power of scaling, not necessarily starting with that brick and mortar, even though you at this time didn't know if you even wanted one, but still uh, you're out there, you're getting, like you said, you're getting your name out there, uh, establishing your brand, uh, building a reputation. What advice do you have for us for uh, building that reputation? How are you being intentional about building this reputation? Well, I've, I've always been, always been, uh, consider of the idea that you should just be authentic to yourself, cook and deliver honest food, make it nice, make it super nice. I mean, don't compare yourself to someone down the road that's doing something. So compare yourself globally, make, make it as best as you possibly can and uh, make it in a way that is best for for your world and, and everyone. So, so, you know, you're just, you're, you're picking up sustainable, um, meats and you're, you're buying produce that uh, isn't being trucked in from, you know, Chile or something, you know, really, I'm really trying to embrace sound stewardship of, of our, uh, uh, of our uh, consumables. So being honest and, and making a good product, that all comes first. And then how people recognize you is your brand. Like I, I am not brand forward. I, I start first with product and, and esteem for the work. And then let other people judge of and see me for who I am. Mm. So, so I think that if you're producing something that's true to yourself and you're doing your very best, putting all your effort in to uh, make it in the context of a good, sustainable world, then then all good things are going to follow after that. I love it. What about just like getting um, a, a following? Were were you being intentional about? You mean you're talking a lot about your brand and how to develop that personal brand, but were you capturing any information at this time? Were you capturing emails or building social platforms to, uh, you know, so you can communicate with yeah. your people and it, let them know what your plans for evolution in your business evolution it, would be? Barely. I mean, really barely. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, um, you know, a time when social media was really, you know, really coming on strong. So, you know, we, we certainly publish photos and calendars on Facebook and uh, a little bit of Instagram at that time. Twitter was a little bit bigger for me. And so, you know, we'd let people know where we were and uh, the breweries would always have a kind of calendar advance and, and people would know when we were going to be there. And 
uh, no, it was, it was, <laughs> it was not very, uh, um, uh, mindful of, of advertising or anything like that. It was just very ground roots. So it was just making, making the food, um, making it delicious and, uh, and seeing that people were really digging it and then listening to them. It was like, wow, um, you know, this is great. This, I had something like this in the Philippines and, and I listen and like, wow, that sounds like a great dish too. And it was very worldwide. It was like, uh, our, our theme was just worldwide street foods and, but made with local ingredients. And, uh, it, it went a long way for me. So somebody who is thinking about, uh, scaling, starting with a food truck, uh, or a mobile units, what advice do you have for that person to do it right? What, what are some things that should be considered that aren't usually considered when making this commitment? It's a good point. Uh, good question. Uh, well, you know, if, if you get a big truck, then you can do all your cooking inside the truck and, and then, uh, you know, uh, health inspections and all that uh, are perhaps a little easier. Um, me, I, I uh, rented a small little commissary kitchen and uh, did all the work out of that and then, you know, schlepped it onto the galley and then schlepped it to the venue, unpacked it, cooked, packed up everything that isn't used at the end of the night back onto the galley, get it back to the commissary kitchen, unpack it, get it into the fridges, do all the cleanup, start again in the morning. And, and that is really the, the nutshell of what uh, brought me to the idea of, you know, it would be pretty cool if people would come to me instead of me coming to them. And that was the turning point for me to change from a food truck operator to a brick and mortar. It's just the amount of movement uh, that uh, people uh, don't understand about the food truck business is it's not just pulling up and, and say, yep, here we go. It's like, it's so much movement of material that uh, a lion's share of your time is, is that schlepping. And it, after two or three years of the food truck business, it got, it got old. So at what point, so uh, I guess the, the, you, you were willing to do the food truck. The food truck ended up being more work than maybe you were anticipating. So now you're saying to yourself, well, if I'm doing all this work, I might as well take that energy of schlepping everything and putting it towards developing a brick and mortar. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was really my mindset. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and, and it always been in my back of my mind. It's like, it, you know, if I stayed in culinary, of course you want to open your own restaurant or you want to be involved in a team that is, you know, uh, part of, you know, you, you want to be part of the visionary team. Uh, maybe it's a soul structure, uh, singular kind of vision, uh, which this has turned out to be, you know, fantastic teammates, but, uh, you know, all, all of the, um, all the responsibilities on my shoulders. Don't have partners, don't have, uh, uh, investors. Uh, we'll, we can get into how, how we launched the restaurant, but, uh, the, the, um, level of commitment just always just kind of, uh, clicked up. It, it, it's like a ratchet, you know, like, all right, I'm going to open my own, uh, catering company. Okay. Click little ratchet. I'm this yeah. far in. Oh, I think I'm going to open up a food truck and click, click, click. You know, you're that far in and suddenly, you know, you're working 80 hours a week and 80 hours a week isn't so bad. It's like, Hey, this is a lot of fun. I don't mind working 80 hours a week, but I don't mind is all those hours that I'm being kind of unproductive. It's like, why do I have to pick this box up five times today? Why can't I just have it delivered, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and spend my time to, towards hospitality and, and making great cuisine and working with a great team and, you know, all the wonderful things that a restaurant involves. Why don't I take that time that I'm kind of wasting with the, uh, the logistics of food trucking and turn it into a regular restaurant? 
Awesome. So let me ask you this, and this is a question I've been excited for because you said earlier in your life you just weren't ready, you weren't willing to take on um, all of the added responsibility of putting that on your shoulders. We kind of just identified, I mean, you're already doing all this work. You might as well just stay in one spot and do all the work and be more productive. What else happened in your life at this point that made you willing to take on all the other responsibilities, like having a staff and, uh, you know, you know, all the things that are involved with owning a restaurant. I think I just came to the realization that, uh, I was ready. Um, I don't know. I don't know if something crystallized that for me or not, but you know, Part of it, like we just discussed, was that you know I'm already doing the work. What's the difference between 80 hours a week and 100 hours a week? Nothing. It's, it's the same thing. Uh, what's the difference between working with two or three people, kind of on a rotating basis uh, in the food truck, and having you know maybe six or nine people in the kitchen, um, and then you know then adding the servers and then and adding our bartenders? And it's like you know, there's all these kind of small jumps, and I think that's how. I think that's how I uh, uh, let it sink in was that it was just kind of smaller incremental jumps instead of going all in at some point, you know, maybe after the divorce saying, all right, well, I'm just going to open up a restaurant. It's like, eh. I think it's, uh, it was a good path for me and maybe it's a good path for a lot of people to kind of make these smaller jumps into it because it tests your character. It's like at some point, maybe I would have not been willing to, have a larger staff or not willing to talk to salesmen that come in all the time or, or not able to shop around for all the different insurances, you know, all the things that could just trip you up. You've got time to get tripped up on, on this kind of slower path to get mm. to where we are now. The if word, you just go all in. Yeah. Uh, there could be all, all those things that just are distasteful for you that you didn't know were distasteful and, and make it uh, a no win situation for you. Um, so, yeah, so kind of, I'm not saying I'm dabbling my way through and into it. I think it just kind of came up in this kind of ratcheting effect of a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until I was all in and, and I just love where I am right now. I just, yeah. I just I love being the restaurant man. Listening to you talk, I can't help uh, the word that, that keeps coming into my mind. You're using the, the ratchet analogy. And, uh, and in my mind, the analogy of just like acclimating to water, right? You're walking into a, like a lake that might be a little bit chilly, like, you know, like 60 degrees or something. Uh, and you're just like slowly walking into your knees, to your thighs, and you're just getting in there slowly. Uh, and it, it like it's easier than just doing the cannonball into like the cold water. And like, I'm not willing to do that. You know, but I'll <laughs> but I'll slowly walk in and acclimate and take on a little bit at a time to I build up my confidence. Now, okay, I am ready. I, I can do this. It's, it's not much of a leap from here. I might as well just put my head under the water. That's kind of the image I see. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that it. fits. Cool. So, okay. Um, now it's 2015 uh, or 2014 is when you say to yourself, okay, we're going to do, or maybe even sooner it was like 2013 when you said to yourself, all right, brick and mortar. Like how long from the, the idea that you're willing to actually pulling it off? How long did that take? Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of fuzzy. Um, certainly was thinking about it. I mean, we had a great, great following. Uh, people really loved it. There wasn't a whole election in Kentucky. There was, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of food trucks on the scene. And so, you know, here, here I am, you know, bringing out immersion circulators and my mandolin and I'm slicing things to order and I'm taking things out of bags and, you know, we're, we're doing 63 degree eggs on things. And, you know, was, people were like, wow, this is really cool. And it was just cooking for me. Uh, it, I wasn't trying to do coolness factors, but, but it was, you know, 
I pay attention, you know, and, and we're living in a great time where you don't have to travel to Italy. You don't have to travel to uh, another coast to, to see cuisine. You can pay attention and, you know, you see all these other people doing things. So, you know, I'm constantly kind of evolving my, my techniques and, and my tool, and things in my toolbox. And, and so the food truck was a great venue to show people, hey, Lexington, we make great food here. It doesn't all have to be hot sandwiches. It's like, you know, the worlds are, worlds are always true. We do anything we want. And so people loved it. And uh, it really started showing me that, uh, you bet, if I'm doing this much work, that uh, I think of brick and mortars in the future. And how do I go about that? I asked myself. And it's like, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a boatload of money. Um, so I start working on a pro forma and just really kind of figuring out uh, the kind of restaurant I want to run, you know, like a small 50 to 70 seat restaurant uh, with a bar, you know, what's that's going to take and ask some other restaurateurs around what, what it's going to take. He says, well, if you're going to be successful in Lexington, you got to have a liquor license right out of the bat. And so, uh, so worked on figuring out what kind of liquor license I'm going to have to get, you know, there's quota licenses. You sometimes have to buy off other people and, you know, all rigmarole. So, so I started testing the waters of, of financially what it's going to take and um, realized that I, I had like zero, zero uh, monetary credit to my name. I mean, it's like, sure, I was making some pretty good cash uh, with the food truck, but I wasn't going to be able to get um, a bank behind me. Um, and as I started floating out uh, 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 loan applications, it came really clear that um, it was going to be a long road. Mm-hmm. So what? once you kind of uh, came to this realization that it's not going to be as easy going through getting the loans, that, that path, what were you doing creatively to think about other other paths to get this cash? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, Kickstarter was uh, getting strong about this time, and uh, we had such a good ground roots uh, following with the food truck. I said, you know what, let's start uh, a Kickstarter campaign and at least get a little money rolling. And if I get some money in, maybe a bank would say, hey, look, this guy is not just, I mean, who wants to, what bank's going to uh, float uh, a loan for a restaurant these days? You know, it's, it's, it's a yeah. rare commodity. So we did a Kickstarter campaign, and it's just 30 days, and we raised like $24,000. It was wow. crazy. Uh, it was very productive, really lovely people contributed, and uh, you know, we had all kinds of, uh, incentives and gifts and things like that, but uh, but really it was just people wanting to see me and the concept come to life. And so so here I am, say on a, a pretty good chunk of change, and I started going around town and, and looking for venues of uh, uh, possible restaurant um, uh, spaces, and uh, talking to uh, an architect about how I wanted to uh, get it uh, get my vision out there, and, uh, and it all started falling into place. So we spent a little money, spent that $24,000 on um, uh, securing uh, our, our property we're leasing and uh, start to outfit it a little bit. And then months and months went by, like six or eight months, Eric, where I was still chomping around for a bank to approve a loan for me. And, and it took, I mean, we, we, I went to nine banks, uh, all of them with the same result until the final bank uh stood behind me and, and we uh, wrangled an SBA loan. So you were able to raise $24,000 on Kickstarter. What advice do you have for uh, running a successful Kickstarter campaign? Uh, it was a bit ago, but it was just 
keeping you out in front of things. So like, you know, daily posts, you know, remind people that this is a, a, a wonderful thing that you're, you're trying to get off the ground and, uh, every day, a little contact, not only to the people that have already contributed, um, saying thank you, but also like, you know, n- new ideas and just try to get people's interest peaked. Mm. And, uh, that, that worked out pretty great. And, you know, it's, I had a wonderful, uh, partner, uh, uh, Robbie Morgan, who, who uh, was really instrumental on several Kickstarter campaigns. And she was very um, good about um, just keeping content out there and, and getting me to express uh, what it was that we were trying to achieve. Mm. Um, and uh, it was it was wonderful. I think the other thing, too, is like you're, you had kind of a reasonable goal. You weren't saying, we're going to raise $500,000 uh, with this Kickstarter campaign, like $24,000 just to get the momentum going and just to get the word out there. Uh, so not only are you, get, you know, gaining uh, the capital uh, to get started, but you're also – you know, creating more awareness about what you're in the process of doing. Uh, so people can get yeah. behind you. Uh, just, just making that, it be known. That helped a lot with the, going to the, to the last bank saying, look, the, um, this, this is something people are getting behind. Uh, I, I, not only do I have the experience, but, uh, uh I'm at a uh, point in my life where I'm, I'm fully in. So, so I think the, the qualitative part of the loan application was good. And the, the, the big issue was, you know, you know, what, what, bank really is going to um, get behind someone that uh, this is my first restaurant opening. So, you know, trying to convince them that uh, uh, it, it's nothing surefire, but at least the, the, the odds of a, of a loss are low. And it, it finally took, and, and it's a, it's an insider network world. It finally took uh, a food truck patron, actually an old catering patron uh, introducing me to a president of a bank and standing behind me and saying, you need to you need to get a loan for this guy, and and then it, it came to fruition. Mm. So twenty four thousand um, dollars. I mean, that that's really in today's even two thousand fourteen, not enough to really even make a dent in opening a restaurant. Yeah. I feel like. So what what was the, the that twenty four thousand? Was that just to to show the bank that you had equity? Was that all that was, or were you yeah. using that to? Well, I didn't. I didn't want to. At that time, um, we were the um, largest food funded uh, Kickstarter campaign in Kentucky. Oh wow. Uh, uh, so I think since then, maybe 30,000 was raised. We wanted to put something out there that was a reasonable goal. And we looked at some other ones that had gone, you know, like 10, 15. And we said, well, we can push that. And, we, and our, our goal was 20. And we went we went over to 24. Uh, so we didn't want to put it something so huge that, uh, you know, there's no way you're going to make it. Uh, we want to make an attainable goal. And um, we didn't we didn't want to be beholding to, you know, a whole community saying like this is your restaurant you build it so you know we're going to need three hundred thousand dollars and we're not going to be able to open it without it it's like you know there's got to be uh a lot of personal investment of it too and uh uh so you know the 24 is probably you know a little less than 10 percent of what i probably put in at the the early stages you know the sba loan uh was you know about 250 so okay with those two numbers together uh we were able to um uh, finish out the building, equipment, and uh, a little bit of money left over so we could uh, uh, do payroll and, and, and procure and things like that. But it was we were all in with that uh, with that money by the time we opened. Okay, cool. So, what were the biggest challenges uh, after getting the loan? Actually, one quick question before we talk about how you started building this out. Uh, how did you have the? I guess the. 
ability to continue to show up after being denied, denied, denied? Like, what advice do you have for just <laughs> like continuing to yeah. like, not lose hope? Right, uh, it's awful. I mean, loan loan applications are the worst because they're huge, right? So each each application is like to each bank is a little bit different, and and, and it just pages and pages, and your pro forma, you're always tweaking it, saying out. I just can't make it any better. It's just, and, and you go into these uh, loan officers and they would look and they go, wow, this is the sharpest pro forma I've ever seen. This is awesome. And you shake your hand and they introduce you to other people around the bank. Oh, this is our new restaurant tour. He's going to open up so on so on. Two weeks later, you're calling. I was like, so what's the status on there? And they go, oh, I tried to call you. Is this your number? And they, they never wanted to tell you that you were denied. They just, they just, they don't like delivering bad news. And so they would, I felt like I was just being strung along forever. Like, so you go to one bank and a couple of weeks, it's all great. And then a couple of weeks goes by and, and you don't really hear anything after all the paperwork's in. And then you really got to track down that loan officer and say, well, yeah, you know, we put it in front of the committee and it's not, and your hopes would be dashed. It'd be so high and then it'd be dashed. And it would happen over and over again. I got so cynical, but we were in it. We had that little bit of startup money and I had already uh, signed the lease for the place uh, we had already started carpentry, and like so, so that twenty four thousand, like uh, my, my Jan and I, uh, and uh, at that time my sous chef, three of us, we just come in and we we'd make tables, or we would uh, stain the concrete floor and, and seal it, or we would do uh, cushion work and make make the uh, the leather cushions for the the bar seats, or uh, a number of like anything we could do hands on, and we were all kind of fairly just keeping the mind DIY. busy in like you know just staying busy and not. Uh you know, I think that that's very important too. Just like moving forward and, and being productive. At least you know? we had, yeah. At least we had a, a little capital to be able to. And again, and then took took all my lines of credit, which I had paid off for the food trucks. So or I was back at uh, zero debt and and just just maxed out everything to oh. just to keep the ball rolling. And you know, a, a June opening selling turns into an October opening selling turns into oh, we're now opening this year. It's because we're still operating on like twenty four thousand dollars. Like. Yeah. I had nothing. I was like really at the end of our ropes. Uh, and, and I didn't want investors. I really didn't want to be, and I tried, I tried, I tried some, some, um, working investing, uh, um, ideas with a couple friends and, and it became clear that, you know, we had different perspectives of how the restaurant was going to be running. And, you know, uh, although they had the money, I had time and it's just, it was very difficult to work out. I, so, so I kind of abandoned the idea of an, of getting money in through investors. Um, but I had a few kind of high end catering clients that, you know, I, I asked for advice and it turns out this one at the very end, uh, said, well, look, you, you need, ironically, you need to go to this bank, which was the first bank I applied to. And, and they just kind of lost, lost my number. Couldn't, couldn't call me back. He said, you need to go talk to this bank, uh, a different branch. And I know the president and, and I got you. And sure enough, and after one meeting, they were like, "Let's get this rolling." And uh, it, it took months to get it done because uh, you know the SBA loan process is pretty complicated. Get the if the bank stands behind you, then pretty much the government will go ahead and uh, and and give you the thumbs up too. But the amount of paperwork that has to go into it is crazy, and it took a few more months. So by the time the Kickstarter ended and the time we opened around Father's Day the next year. You know, a full year had gone by where I thought we'd be open in, you know, six months, eight months, and it turned into about 12 months of just putting our nose to the grindstone and doing all the, all the things in the restaurant that we could do on the budget we had and, uh, and waited for the big, big money to come in to, 
to pay off all the debt and then start, you know, outfitting the restaurant with equipment. What was the biggest reason why you didn't want investors? Well, it came clear that the, our perspectives were just really differently different. And, and it became clear that I, unbeknownst really that I had a, a really strong vision of, of what I wanted to project. Like all the restaurants I had been working in, all the ones that I had visited through my life had shaped a vision of, of, of comfort and, and style and uh, just where, where I wanted to hang my hat every day. Um, that having an investor um, with their own visions, because they'd all gone through the same thing. They've, they're all grown-ups and, and had seen restaurants and, and have a perspective of how they would like to be associated with a restaurant. Um, we clashed, and, and, and I knew what the margin was. I knew we, you know, what, what, what's our margin? 6%, 10%? Um, you know, it's not going to be a very profitable thing. You're going to be really, really wanting to be immersed in the restaurant because you want to be immersed in the restaurant. It's, it's, it's not a, a big profitable thing. I know that going into it. It is a profitable thing. We're, we're, we're by no means flush, but we're, we're paying all our bills. We're doing good things. We're doing good work. We're doing good outreach with the community. We're, we're a, a, a jewel in the crown of, of Lexington's dining scene, I think. And, and that's where I want to be. And th- that means that I am achieving what I'm aspiring to. And I'm not aspiring to be a millionaire. So I'm not trying to achieve to make a million dollars where some of these investors, I think we're trying to try. It's a profitable thing. They want, they, they, they want that profit at the end and not the context of being a restaurateur. Now I'm right there with you too. And I think it comes back to what you shared very early on in the beginning. Are you willing, are you willing not only to open a restaurant, but are you willing to sacrifice uh, your vision just to get the capital to open the restaurant? Uh, I mean, in, I, it sounds like for you, that vision is an extension of who you are and, and what you've uh, become literally manifested into a restaurant. And if you take on investors, like you have to dilute some of the, the authenticity, the essence of what you've become to just get the capital. And you, are you willing to sacrifice that? I mean, I, th- I think it's great that you aren't. And I think many people should probably really ask themselves, am I willing to sacrifice what I want to create to get the, the money from somebody else? I don't because, know. because you may open, you may be able to get those investors and open, and then you're going to find yourself uh, in a situation where it's less than what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Absolutely. Gonna, it, you know, how are you going to hang your hat a uh, hundred hours a week in a place that you don't feel uh, is, is uh, your vision? Yeah. yeah. It's tough. I, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. So we're in a lovely position here. So I've got, I've got teammates around me that are, are doing the jobs that I can't get to. You know, I, I'm, I'm a very controlly kind of guy. I, all aspects. I look at all aspects. Like, you know, where the, the labels of the wine bottles I'm looking at, are they all kind of pointing in the same direction? And, you know, all, all the little things. Are there spots over on that glass? And like, but I, all I got to do is, you know, wait, wait till my um, beverage director gets in or my GM comes in and he'll see that too. And, and he'll take care of it. And so like all this divestiture of, of my vision towards people that I trust uh, is, I used to fear it, but I'm really embracing it now. And, and um, everybody is, um, pulling this restaurant right up by its bootstraps. It's great. So when you, when you, uh, you got the small business loan and you started, you know, putting the pieces together to, to open up, what was that process like? Uh, hectic. So then it went really fast. So, so like all the, uh, the big money, I, so we did all the build out. So, but it's an empty restaurant. So empty shelves and, uh, the kitchen, um, 
has no equipment in it per se. Uh, so, so suddenly we have enough money. So they say, you know, all right, order the grill, fire, fire, uh, refrigeration, get it all in. So, so suddenly all the equipment comes in and we're getting all that all tidy and, uh, um, getting all our inspections done. My goodness. So, you know, tons of everything from electrical to hood design to you know, our plumbing inspection, and all that. So that's all just very hair raising, you know, all these little things that can put you off. And, and, and now, now you're, you're really in. So I've got, you know, the, the, the loan repayment's going to start next month. So not only have I used most of the money, but, uh, you know, we're going to start spending more. So we got to get open. It, it's a, that, that, uh, that juxtaposition between build out and opening day is probably the most scary and hell raising and uh, exciting times uh, I can remember. Take us through it. How'd you get? How'd you get through it? Uh, well, you know, one one step at a time. You know, just you know, you've got you've got lots of lists, and you just work on checking it off. You know. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, some of the toughest things are when it's out of your control. So, you know, getting the city inspectors in here and it's like, oh yeah, we'll get down here check this. And then they don't show. And so you got to wait a few more days and, and that has repercussions. And so when it's out of your control or, or some, or some equipment just doesn't ship fast enough and you're waiting for that, uh, that that's, I mean, you just kind of cross your fingers. You can't, you can't bitch and moan too much and, you know, even more breaks will go on. So you just keep. I mean, there's so many details, as you know, that you just keep plugging away at all the details and, uh, um, you know, opening day rolls around really fast. Uh, and, and you don't know, you know, as you're planning all this, really how the logistics of the day is going to go when, when you're open for business. So we opened with, you know, we have about 70 seats inside and we have a huge patio outside that I haven't quite, even after three years, taken full advantage of. This is the year where we're, we're expanding out there, but you know, Early on, I thought, well, well, we'll have lunch and we'll have seats inside and outside and then we'll do dinner service. And so we opened up with a full Monty and I had, had good staff, had great people early on willing to do the work, but it was just literally too much. I mean, we, after about a week, we, we dialed back on lunch. We said, no, there's, we're just not a lunch place. We couldn't, couldn't prep in the kitchen and be ready for the dinner service that uh, we, we wanted to, to, um, to have. So, so wait, so what was too much? The volume, the, the work you were doing, the volume you were doing was, is that what was too much? Number. Yes. Yeah. N- number of uh, tables um, were, was too much early on. So we, we, we took off outside dining pretty quick and just made it like cocktails outside and the amount of, uh, of service throughout the day. So a lunch service followed by a dinner service for, for our kitchen. We're a, we're a small kitchen, but you know, most, most kitchens are, but we're open air um, we're, we're right out front in the middle of the of the dining room, and to be able to set some parts off for prep for the evening while you're still doing line service, uh, we just couldn't. I just couldn't make it work. Uh, I suspect in time maybe we, we can, and, and but but there's something we dialed back quickly and concentrated just on dinners and and for the for the good of it because uh, you know people really recognize us that we're a, a destination spot for for some really great innovative um, cuisine and it gives us time uh, with all these prepping days uh, to get, to get there. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So did you think that maybe uh, were you, so you started doing lunch in dinner when you dialed back, did you just stop doing lunch altogether or did you just remove seats from the patio and, and focus on doing like how we, we have lunch like after a week, like okay. after four or five days, this is ridiculous. No way can we do this anymore. 
yeah, and, and didn't look back. Like, you know, we've opened up, we, we've experimented. Uh, I get into a tangent on our kind of uh, our seasonality of scheduling and our weekly scheduling of, of how we how we do things. But we scaled back from lunch. We, then we opened up for, for, all right, let's do a day brunch. We'll do, we'll do a Sunday brunch and see how that goes. And, and, and that was ups and downs. It was, uh, it's fun to cook a, a different style of cuisine, um, but we're a small crew. And so there's no A-team, B-team. There's you know, A-teams there Saturday night and then A-teams there first thing Sunday morning. And it's tough. It's a tough life going back to back from uh, dinner service into brunch. And so, uh, so we dialed back on, on brunch and thought creatively, how can we do something that's fun and innovative to keep us on our toes on a, on a day of the week that um, could be flexible for people? You know, uh, you know, what can we do on a Sunday that is going to keep us interested and, and keep people interested coming in? So now we're, we're, we've launched, this is our second year of doing uh, our seasonal Sunday suppers. And so we do a, a pre-ticketed event now for dinners on Sunday and we do a different theme and it only happens a couple times a month. So it's not every Sunday, but we're keeping it fun by doing, uh, you know, uh, paired dinners. So we're doing uh, bourbon dinners and wine pairing dinners or, or we do a thematic uh, dinner, like a tasting menu. Um, last week we did a, a hellfire dinner. So all things in the world that, uh, make you go, wow, that's hot. So from you know, spicy onions to peppercorns to chilies to uh, Sichuan and uh, Sancho peppers. And so we did this long 11-course tasting menu um, paired with some crazy cocktails and, and lasa and things. Um, so so we've, we've dialed back on lunch, but we're trying to open the restaurant for fun, creative things uh, on at least Sundays. And, uh, and that's, that's been great. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value there um, to you saying it's, it's fun and doing things that aren't uh, the same every day. So it gets kind of methodical over time. But when you get to really get creative uh, and I'm assuming and I, maybe I shouldn't be assuming you're also collaborating on these projects with maybe different uh, distilleries and different uh, wineries locally. That is that absolutely. Yeah. Yep, so yep. what's the benefit of that? What's really I mean, that, there must be some. Oh. I'll let you yeah, the collaboration is, is wonderful. So, you know, whether uh, uh, it's a vintner coming in and uh, like we're doing a biodynamic wine dinner coming up. And so we're, you know, we're tasting, you know, fantastic wines and they're giving us the background. Uh, and so it really, you know, as a cook, you know, peaks all the different tastes that, uh, you know, you think you want to complement and contrast and all the things you do with wine pairings. Uh, but but they're they're just full of all kinds of uh, extra knowledge that we don't have uh, just looking at a bottle or looking at a press release. And so we have these people come in and, and often will attend the dinners. And so uh, the, our customers can uh, rub shoulders with people that are, are in the business. Um, we've got a, a Michter's uh, whiskey dinner coming up, and you know, uh, the two master distillers there, Pamela and Andrea, are both going to be in attendance uh, here for the dinner. And so. It's just it's just great to offer the opportunity to have the so guests. So when they when they uh, attend, are they attending that. as guests? Or are they attending as are they doing like an educational piece, or is it are they presenting, or how's that work? Uh, it, it kind of varies. Sometimes we'll have some people some people come in and they'll, they'll kind of give a spiel about uh, each each pairing stuff. But I think in this case with this mixers when coming up, uh, they're they're coming in as guests as well. And so it's just more of like uh, rubbing shoulders with people that are um, the crafts people that are, are making part of your dinner. Not only are you rubbing shoulders with the uh, chefs and the cooks that are in the kitchen because we're just right across the counter. We're right there in the center too. They can see everything going on. But you know, the person that's sitting, you know, one table down from you is the master distiller. And uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's just so much value. Like I'm, I'm sure they're uh, on their platforms uh, pushing the event, creating awareness. Now you're using uh, other people's marketing or uh, I guess promotional efforts to create awareness about your restaurant. And there's just so much value in uh, those collaborations and in, in cross promoting uh, local businesses. Uh, both businesses come out on top because of it. Uh, I think it's a great thing to do. Yeah, um, so true. Uh, so anything we haven't discussed uh, that you were hoping we would discuss that I'm going to kind of just pass the ball to you uh, in kind of just freestyle anything that you, you think you can share with us to add a little more value before we go to the speed round. Uh, I don't know, man, we've covered a lot. Uh, uh, no, I just think uh, people just need to enjoy what they're doing and uh, uh, think things will flow from that. I couldn't agree more. Awesome stuff. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. <laughs> Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 6683006691 mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first 3 months and say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with sorcery ap automation to be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. And we're back. The first question I have for you, Mark, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a, gen uh, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I would say focus and perseverance. And asking yourself, are you willing? I feel like it's another one, too, just that, that clarity on what you want and not uh, and what you're willing to do is just so, so important. Um, I'm just going to throw that in there, too. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, thinking that I can do it all. How have you overcome that? 
uh, good teammates. So uh, I can do it all with their help uh, and uh, and good time management. Kind of. I mean, just there's just not enough time in the day. That's biggest weakness uh, is lack of time. Can you help me with that? <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing? I'm curious. What advice do you have for time management? What what uh, have you developed a habit or a um, a method to better manage your time? Yeah, I <clears throat> I get up super early and just get to work ASAP. I, get, I set the table before anybody gets here and work through, usually lock it up at the end of the night. And I really try to get a little bit of work done when I get back home too. So, you know, it's uh, 12 or 14 hours in the restaurant and then, you know, a couple before I go to sleep. You should have a, a balanced life, right? But uh, I think of it more instead of a diurnal kind of temporal balance. It's like, I have a great balanced life. I, I hiked Yosemite. I, I've traveled around the world. I've, I've done beautiful things. That's all balancing out what I'm doing right now, yeah. <laughs> which and is all this. Yeah. Do you have a routine? Is it like the same every day? Is it like you wake up and you do these series of events or is it kind of scattered? It, it, it's pretty much the same. It's pretty much the same every day. But, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I, the, the team's allowing me to have uh, one service off. So Monday night, uh, one service starts about 5, 6 o'clock. I can buzz out. And so uh, I get to go have daughter, uh, my dinner with my daughter. Um, other times I see her, she works as, uh, our expo and, and food runner. So, uh, I see her on the weekends. Um, uh, so, so, you know, d- daily there's like a little, little gem of this or that, that, uh, that happens, but, uh, <laughs> it's day in, day out, but it really is. Yeah, I bet. So what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? During the, inter- like interviewing, a uh, uh, job for, pers- uh, yeah, when seekers? you're trying to grow your team, what are you looking for? What questions are you asking? Like, what's your trick? Uh, I try to let them talk. Uh, I try to listen to them and the a question, I kind of want to know their plan. I want to know, you know, why, why is this interesting to you now? What, what's, what's your plan over the next few months? Um, you know, what, where do you want to take this? What, what, what's the next move for you after middle Fork? Why do you want to know what their plan is? Because if it's, if it's just, um, I just need capital. I just, it's just a job. Uh, I'm less inclined. If, you know, the restaurant industry is tough because you're always looking for new people because people are moving. And sometimes you can just take a hired gun. You just all they want. They they, they just need the hourly, and they're kind of come in and they're going to do the, the prep for you that needs to be done. And you can teach them how to do it the way you want to do it. And then, and, and sometimes you need that. But most of the time, people I want to surround myself with are people that are looking for a job of substance, like the values that I get out of the restaurant, I, I want to see them wanting those values as well. And then we can really work as a team. Mm, I love it. Um, so what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, getting it all done, getting it all done. So I've got my linen guy just about to walk in. I got to discuss uh, why the pricing has increased over the last week. Um, I've got, I've got a produce person coming in here in a few minutes. I've got to make sure that we didn't get shorted on something. So the, the, yeah, the biggest challenge is doing it all while talking to you and, <laughs> and thinking about this mixtures menu and thinking about how I'm going to outfit the patio because it's just about to break in the spring. So just biggest challenge is, is really having your mindset on all these things 
kind of at the same time, um, but giving each one the thought that uh, is going to get you an outcome that uh, you're going to be happy with. So how are you overcoming that challenge? Uh, lists, lists, notebooks after notebooks of lists. And uh, to remind me, uh, as I focus on one thing, that uh, this also has to get done not only soon, but this has to be done today. Yeah, so uh, a big list maker. Beautiful. Yeah, lists are so, so powerful. There's a great book out there called How to Eat That Frog or how to, I think it's How to Eat the Frog. Hold on now. I'm pretty sure it's how to eat that frog by Brian Tracy, but it's, it's a, a great book. And just uh, how to live your life off of a list is this one chapter. I believe they, they go into like living your life from a list. It's going it to be so, so powerful. I'll link to it in the show notes and um, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Um, I just want everybody to be excellent, excellent on all levels and, and don't compare yourself to excellent, uh, with just the context of the city we're in, where, where we're at, or even the context of, of your other jobs, just, you can think globally. Like in the whole world, how can, how can you make what you're doing right now just the best? So um, how, how do you make what you're that. doing right now the best? Again, focus. You know, if, if you're making a brunoise, then you know, make those little squares just sing. Um, if uh, you know, you're mopping the floor, yeah, just, you know, there's a great way to do it. And then there's a way to just, just to do it. Mm. How do you keep the culture at that level where everybody's willing to show up and bring it to, to, that, to that level of excellence? Uh, just, yeah, I, it, that's hard, right? Uh, there's like personal responsibility that you got to bring to it. So, you know, you can't, you can't motivate someone that doesn't want to be motivated. Um, and, and sometimes it's just really tiring to try to be the motivational guy. You're, just, you're really open to, People are all bringing it to the table and and we all have ups and downs and and tough days and and easy days. Um, So you just, just try to be a good, uh, a good companion, a good, a good associate. You're right. You you don't want to be, I don't want to be hanging around with, um, you know, a bunch of frowny people and and they don't want to be hanging around me if I'm all frowny. So, you know, trying to keep good spirits and, and um, have a, have a value of, uh, of doing great work. If you can instill that, then, you know, it's, and it's, uh, then it's all self-driven, right? Yeah. So how do you know where you are on that scale of, uh, energy that, that scale of, uh, I guess you said it's hard to be that guy that's always motivational, always lifting everybody else up. How do you know where you're at? Where are, are, are you lifting people up or are you bringing them down? Like how, are, how are you self-aware of that energy that you have? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I, I just try to be more positive in my comments, try to look for the, the good in something. Um, and, and if something needs to be adjusted, try to be, try to express that in a constructive way. Um, I find myself sometimes in the heat of the moment, you know, someone played something and I go, you idiot. <laughs> and I just feel horrible. I just yeah. feel horrible after I, I, I say something negative in a, in a real personal way like that. And it's like, they're, they're, they're not idiots. They're just, they're suffering from the same thing you are. We're, we're working on a stressful situation and we're trying to do our best and that one slipped. And so you got to make the decision. It's like, is it adequate to go out or nope, let's start from scratch. And most times it's let's start, let's start over. Mm. Man, uh, yeah. I'm tempted to go deeper here. <laughs> uh, what, I'm curious what happens when you do slip and uh, 
you, you do call somebody an idiot or you do lose your cool. Do you apologize after? Or do you let uh, it do slip under the rug? See, you know, it's like, like looking at a puppy dog, their ears droop. And, yeah. You know, they, they, you know, so that tells me a couple of things. They, they hold me not only as their boss perhaps, but you know, as someone that uh, they value my opinion um, or, and, and they're trying to do well for, mm. for the restaurant and for me personally. And so, if I sniff like that, it just makes, I see it immediately. And I just feel, it's just the worst feeling. I bet. Uh, I don't know who wor- feels worse than I. <laughs> so I, re- I really cut that out. It's very rare that that happens now. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So it's common within your restaurant, but uncommon within the industry. What, uh, I like, I like to think it's truthfulness because we change up things so often here that as a server goes out to a table and they get a question about a, a new daily that's coming out, uh, they've got to be truthful and say, well, you know, I haven't even seen it yet. I haven't tasted it. Chef explained to us what was on the plate, but, you know, I trust them. I trust the team that it's going to be phenomenal, but uh, I really don't, I don't know. I'm really excited to see it come out. You know, I, I like that kind of dialogue versus oh, yeah, the, you know, the cream sauce is delicious and, you know, those morels, you know, they came from such and such and when they don't know, you know, it's like just be truthful mm. and, and say, you know, I can't, I, I'm sure I'm expecting it to be awesome and I can't wait to see it. Beautiful. Uh, what is one book we must read that will make us a better person or restaurants operator or, or owner? I saw that in your, your flow that you'd be asking me about and, and uh, it's been all cookbooks for me for a long time, but so when we were first getting the notion of starting the restaurant, I guess maybe Danny Meyer's book, setting the table was pretty influential. Uh, I mean, everybody should read that. It's yeah. a great book. What was the biggest lesson from that book? Something you didn't know before reading it that really impacted you. It's, it's hospitality dummy. It's, it's, this is a hospitality business and uh, it, it, it's not a the customer's king. It's, the customer's always right. And it's king. It's that, you need to extend your hospitality out to them so they um, feel that and that maybe their expectations uh, when they came in are not being met, but maybe they're realizing that they have different expectations now and um, and that's what you're you're trying to you're striving to to give them. Uh, so the the idea that um, the egoness of, of of you know I'm going to cook great food and you're going to love it and it's going to be this way and no other way. It's like you know, I may have started out that way a little bit and, and I'm much more flexible now about uh, uh, seeing other people's um, needs and, and, and de- delivering a dish that's going to fit their needs yet still be in the context of, of what we do. Yeah. And uh, Audible, I'm pretty sure has Danny Meyer saying the table abridged and unabridged. So if you head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable and you aren't already a member of audible, you can get that book for free and audiobooks have changed my life. Do you listen to audiobooks by any chance? Uh, I do. Uh, mostly when we're, we're traveling. So yeah. uh, uh, I do changer. listen to a lot of podcasts though. Oh yeah. What's your favorite podcast? Uh, well, I listen a lot from uh, heritage radio uh, in Bushwick. Uh, are you familiar with that uh, group of uh, yes. podcasts? Uh, I, it, I am familiar with heritage radio. Uh, I do not listen to any of their podcasts. I have to admit uh, I'm more into the, the, the business podcasts, um, but I've heard great things about their podcasts. Which which is Super. your favorite? It's all, all about the business, uh, food and bev. Um, one in particular, uh, cooking issues with Dave Arnold always is uh, 
uh, informative for me. So I, I really, really dig that. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds from, uh, you know, cheese manufacturing to, to um, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a show called The Business of the Business. since we about the business of uh, restaurants. And that was, it's off now, unfortunately, but it's still cataloged. Uh, it was um, hosted by uh, Tom Colicchio's, not brother, maybe cousin, uh, Phil Colicchio. Anyways, it was all about, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the background, the biz of the biz. And uh, cool. that was a real eye-opener. I, I loved listening to that. So we'll uh, list those yeah. as your online, uh, share an online tool or resource. I'll have uh, Heritage Radio's Cooking Issues with Dave Arnold and the business of the business. Uh, so this is w- almost the last question. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that has influenced operations, communication, profitability, efficiency, uh, you name it? Uh, just one, uh, we just changed over to toast as our POS and, uh, I'm really digging it. It, uh, is a, it's just a, a big, uh, change from the kind of old dinosaurs of, uh, uh the old kind of, uh, Aloha's and micros. So why did you choose a toast and what were you using before toast? We started using Aloha when we first, uh, opened up and, uh, it was a combination of not having to buy the equipment but had to pay a, a, a significant uh, monthly fee for its use, but it was like less cash outlay. So, so for a cash poor startup, uh, it worked pretty well. Um, it was just cumbersome is why we changed from it. Uh, the back of the house uh, platform is just, it feels like you're typing in old DOS code. It's just, it was really difficult for us to, to pull out the information that we, that we thought was useful um, versus what we're using now is toast, which is uh, cloud-based and it's all very uh, easy back house interactive stuff. Uh, you make a change back of the house. It changes onto the front servers panels right away. You don't have to wait for, you know, uh, installed later. Um, it's just been very, very smooth for us. You know, the downside is toast couples their um, POS system with uh, mandatory credit card processing. So it's a lump thing. Uh, we were using a different credit card processor before, which is very clean. Um, Toast's credit card processing is a little uh, bulky, mm-hmm. um, not quite as not quite as nice, but it gets the job done. And, and monetarily, uh, is not much different. But uh, the platform itself, uh, we're real happy with. Yeah, Toast is, is a great platform. One of the the four POS companies that are most recommended on the show, and that I recommend when people ask me what POS should I go with, uh, and they are an affiliate. So if you guys are interested in toast, please let me know. I can make an introduction and you're supporting the podcast. And uh, the last question, Mark, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity, this industry and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Be yourself, pay attention, and do good. Be yourself, pay attention, and do good. Awesome stuff, Mark. This was a great conversation. I think a lot of value in just the the idea of uh, are you willing and not being willing to sacrifice what what you are and who you are and what you want from life to just open a restaurant. Uh, Beautiful stuff. And uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today. Uh, That's a good question. You've been to Lexington. So you've hit a lot of, a lot of my associates already. Um, You know, who might you go talk to? Uh, 
you know, is it always restaurants or do you do you like uh, breweries and uh, other kind of uh, I, hospitality? I will be willing to venture outside of um, restaurants for a food and beverage operation. Uh, it is business. At the end of the day, business is business. Uh, what do you have for us? Well, our neighbors, we have a ethereal brewery, which is pretty much kind of hugging our little restaurant. Yeah. They've got their uh, tap room on one side of us and a great big brewing uh, facility behind us. And I am just uh, amazed at the uh, beers that are coming out of there. Uh, the head brewer, Brandon Flone, wonderful fella and uh, full of knowledge uh, on the brewing industry. Uh, these guys uh, opened about the same time that we did, just a couple months ahead of us. And together, kind of in tandem, we're here kind of commanding our, our spot. And uh, they're just such great neighbors. Uh, I think he'd be a good person to talk to. It was Jonathan? Uh, Brandon. Oh, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon look out. Oh. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know if we want to follow your work, maybe uh, connect with you to ask a question about uh, any of the, the advice you shared with us. What's the best way to connect? Or maybe even come join your team. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. We're always, uh, uh, always looking for uh, new people coming in the door and we're, we're growing. So, uh, we need them. Uh, best way to contact me would probably be through our, uh, uh, our email through our website. So, uh, chef at middleforkkb.com. Beautiful. And, uh, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash, uh, Mark Jensen. That's M R. Sorry, M A R K J E N S E N. And I'll have a link to uh, all the recommendations, the books recommended in a summary of today's discussion, all right there. Mark, thank you again for taking the time out of your very busy schedule uh, to share your story and to share your advice. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. Ha ha. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Cheers. Well, there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Mark Jensen, awesome episode, great advice. Uh, I think the big, big, big takeaway for me in this conversation is the idea of just being realistic about what it takes to be successful in this industry and then only aspiring to what you're willing to take on. Uh, I think really at the end of the day, uh, there's so much or so many different ways we can be successful. And I, I think we, we get in trouble when we take on too much and we aspire to be too much, but we're not realistic about what it takes to do these things. Mark had the benefit of growing up in the industry and really knowing how much work it goes into owning and operating a restaurant. And he was wise enough to know that he wasn't willing. Uh, and he was willing to just go out there and, and to learn under the tutelage of, of other chefs and grow as a chef and to travel the world and to build on that knowledge, uh, which I, again, I think is uh, another lesson. Really get out there, travel, uh, learn about what it is that really lights you up in this industry. What, what do you love about this industry? And then lean into that one thing and do that one thing better than anybody else. Um, I guess that's a little bit of a side note, but uh, he he knew what what it would take to open a restaurant. He wasn't willing, and he slowly scaled uh, and discovered himself over time, and eventually he was willing. I think the other lesson that that's in here is just be patient. Your time will come. I think uh, maybe Mark was a little impatient early on. I think he would agree with me. Uh, just trying to get to that next level. Uh, put your nose down, do the work, and opportunities will come to you. If you, if you give of yourself to others, others will re- eventually return that on to you with opportunity. And then lastly, uh, just staying positive, uh, keeping your, your eyes on the future 
And I, I think this is one thing we took away from the conversation when uh, Mark was looking to open his restaurant. And he uh, was getting rejected time and time again from the banks. Uh, and all you can do is chip away slowly. Uh, he chipped away by getting the, the Kickstarter, the capital to show uh, the banks that he had built momentum and all these little things you can do to add momentum and don't let uh, yourself get discouraged because it's going to be hard and, and you're, you're going to not uh, probably hit your goals right away. But if you keep those goals and you just you keep showing up and the one thing you can do is just make sure you show up today better than you were yesterday. And if you keep on doing that, it compounds over time and uh, opportunities, people will uh, present themselves to you uh, with solutions and in, in, in just anything uh, really who knows where it will come from but just stay positive awesome stuff guys uh like always please do reach out to me eric at restaurantsunstoppable.com eric catch tory on instagram and twitter in slash restaurant unstoppable on facebook let me know who you want to hear from let me know how i can best serve you also i want to take the podcast back on the road it's crazy i'm already thinking about going back on the road um i haven't even been home for more than a a week since mid-January, we're going on to uh, mid-April now. I'm going to be back in New Hampshire in uh, about two weeks. Uh, then I'll probably spend some time at my family's cabin in Maine uh, doing some work, uh, lining up interviews, figuring out a game plan to go back on the road. And when I go back on the road, guys, I want to head out west. I would love to hit the Rockies um, and maybe, who knows, hit Chicago on the way, uh, continue on to the Rockies go uh, to the northwest hit portland oregon and uh i know i say that funny sometimes sorry if you're in oregon or oregon maybe i'm saying it right i don't know uh washington make my way back down towards uh uh california and uh if you're in that in that area if you're in those states let me know if you want to host me if you want if you have a spare bedroom or a, even a, a spot on the floor i can put my air mattress on it i'll be happier than a pig and shit uh, so reach out to me. Let me know you have a spot and I'll come to your, your city. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all until next time. Peace out.